Welcome back to the Strength and Speed Podcast. I'm your host, Strength and Speed owner, Evan Preparis. I do have a guest with me on the line. Before we get to him, though, a quick word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Compex. Compex is an electrical muscle stimulator and TENS unit. So if you're trying to improve your physical fitness or just trying to get some pain relief, Compex can help. Essentially, it's electrodes you put on your body, and it sends small electrical shocks through your body, makes your muscles twitch, can help with pain relief, like I said, or the electrical muscle stimulator side can help with endurance, explosive strength, stuff like that. They have a couple different options. The lowest model, I believe, is the Edge. That comes in around just under $100. And the highest model is the wireless one, which is phenomenal because, you know, with the lower model, you have essentially wires hanging off you. And the wireless one, you just put these little, like, pads on and they're Bluetooth in. Pretty awesome device. And it's portable, so it's a lot smaller than some other recovery devices, and you can actually just throw it in your uh, luggage when you go on a vacation or to a race. All right, head over to CompexUSA.com and check them out. Let's get to our guests. So today on the podcast, we have uh, Joshua Reed. Uh, Josh, say hi. How? The first thing I noticed about Joshua, besides his mohawk and tattoos, is his spelling of your name. So... Your full name is Joshua B. Redinger, and then you spell it J-A-S-H-U-A, Reed. So what's with the funky spelling before we get into your bio? Uh, we're just having fun over here. Uh, so growing up, no one ever pronounced my name right. Obviously, Joshua isn't that difficult, but Redinger, nobody says Redinger. It's either Rydinger or Reedinger. Not that I take offense to it or anything, but I just figured I'd simplify it. Joshua Reed flows off the tongue easily. And my friend growing up always called me Ja, which I liked. So I thought it'd be fun to just kind of break it up because you know what? A name is just like something that's written down on your birth certificate. So I figure smudging it around a little bit causes no harm. Right on. So I'm going to run over some of your highlights and then we'll get into a little bit more about you, your training, what your plans are for 2019 and 2020 and some of your results from the past year and how you've accomplished those. All right, so some of your athletic highlights, right? You got a lot on, on your plate there. Uh, Cranberry Lake 50, uh, 50 uh, FKT, so fastest known time. Also got another FKT, the Wittenberg Cornell Slide Loop, uh, Devil's Path Out and Back FKT, and then a lot of uh, Spartan and Tough Mudder races in the Northeast there. So uh, third at Spartan Ultra in New Jersey, first Bonefrog Endurance, Massachusetts, first Spartan Sprint West Point, New York. First Spartan Super, um, Massachusetts. Fourth Spartan Super, New Jersey. Fifth World's Toughest Mudder, Atlanta, Georgia. First uh, Spartan Super, Greek Peak. Second Spartan Beast, New York. Uh, second uh, TNFEC, which I'm at in Bear Mountain, New York. And yeah, the North Face Endurance Challenge. That was a fantastic uh, uh, ultra event They actually had uh, distances from 5k all the way up to the 50 miler. That was the first event I ever did. And that thing was, uh, that was like in my home area. I live in the Catskills, but that was down like the Harriman park area, bear mountain. And that was the best 
introduction I possibly could have had, I believe, to like the whole running ultra world. So if anyone out there hasn't done a North Face Endurance Challenge event, highly recommend it. Super well put together, especially Bear Mountain. That just the venue is crazy. It's wicked technical. It's beautiful. It always seems to be foggy up on the mountain, which gives like that eerie kind of feeling, which I like. I don't know if you get in like your own personal space. Right on. And you're also a certified personal trainer and certified uh, primal health coach there. So you kind of touched on it a little bit, but let's, you kind of come from an interesting background. So tell us how uh, you got involved in fitness in the first place. When I was younger, my, uh, so I'm 28. My dad is 77. So uh, he was an old timer, like since I was a youngin. And we used to go to the gym. He started bringing me to the gym when I was like 13 years old. And this guy just did bench press and bicep curls and his biceps to this day, 77 years old. Crazy. He'll bust out a set of like 10 pull-ups and he's already had triple bypass surgery and shit. Guy's the man. Uh, if you ever see him at the, at the venue, say hi. He, uh, he used to take me to the gym and we work out and we're like, Oh, this is, this is pretty fun. This is cool. And I got like kind of competitive into it. And I was a peewee. Like I was on the wrestling team in eighth grade for their, it was 82 or 83 pounds they wanted me to wrestle at because they didn't have anybody that light. So I was like the smallest kid up until almost 10th grade. I finally had a growth spurt. But like, so leading up into that, I figured, okay, I'm not growing. Working out is kind of a way for me to like stay with the pack, stay strong. So, you know, so if I get into a brawl, like I'll be able to, to defend myself against these older, older studs. Not really. They were all cool with me. I got picked on a little bit, but I don't like point at that for being the reason that I wanted to get fit. Well, not. I just kind of wanted to keep up. And uh, as time went on, I, I finally had a growth spurt, but I got lazy. And I started uh, I started smoking cigarettes when I was 17, and I kind of fell off the fitness bandwagon. I always did uh, BMX racing, which was super fun. My parents actually took me to do that. Before I started going to the gym with my dad, I started doing that when I was eight or nine years old, and I did that all the way up until I was 14. I was pretty good at that. Actually, I was a state champ in 2001 as a little young lad. Uh, again, I was like 70 pounds, soaking wet, but uh, I could whip a bike around the track. That was super cool. I think, uh, I think that lent me a hand with agility, but I started going from the BMX into more lifting and then just kind of dropped everything. I got really lazy for a little while, smoked cigarettes. And then I remember uh, in my early 20s, I went out to California because I was like looking for a little bit of a life change. And my buddy invited me out there to do door-to-door -door sales, which by the way, is miserable. If anyone's done door-to-door -door sales, you know, it's awful. Uh, morally, I wasn't really down with it. So I started looking for an out pretty quick. Uh, so like three months into that job, I heard about the Pacific Crest Trail which a lot of people know about, like the Appalachian Trail uh, that runs east coast pretty much south to north, so like over 2,000 miles. There's a Continental Divide Trail also. Uh, I think it's closer to like 3,000 miles. And then the Pacific Crest Trail runs from Mexico to Canada up the west coast, and that's like 2,600. So I heard about that, and I was like, oh, I should – maybe some time in the mountains would be a good idea. And then I went up to Mount Shasta in northern California for an eclipse. It was pretty rad. It was a total solar eclipse. And there's this volcano out there called Mount Shasta. It's one of the Cascade Mountains. 
And I remember being there with a bunch of friends and I, I looked at this thing in the height of the eclipse and I just couldn't stop staring at it. I was like, that thing's just like asking me to climb it. And later on, I asked, I told somebody that I wanted to climb it, and they're like, yeah, dude, people climb that. I was like, what? This is before I even knew that mountaineering and alpinism were like really a thing. Like I heard of Everest, but it seemed like this really far out, this really far out kind of thing to do. I didn't realize there was, uh, you know, a lot of sport behind it. So it goes to show how kind of sheltered from uh, some of these more extreme forms of athleticism go. And so I decided I was going to climb that. So I trained, like, we gave up smoking and climbed that. And at that point, I was hooked. And that was in my early 20s. So fast forward, uh, a few years later, mid-20s, I'm back on the East Coast and I'm hiking in the Catskills, and I kind of had still lingered with the smoking, never completely dropped it, kind of like picked it back up and filled around with it. And like seven years in, I see somebody running through the Catskills. And they were, they looked great. They were just running up and down the mountains. Like, how far are you going? They're like, oh, like 20 miles today. It's like, holy shit, man. People do that. Like, people run that far? And then at that point, I was like, okay, this is what I, this is what I want to do. And that was at, uh, that was like 24, 25 years old. So yeah, it was just a little over three years ago. And at that point, gave up smoking, replaced it with running and never turned back. Right on. And why did you go from, you know, not really running at all into the ultra world? Was that a gradual transition or did you just kind of dive headfirst into that? Well, I kind of knew that I was never, I was never the the fastest sprinter uh, back in high school. I did a little cross country and track. I wasn't a star by any means. Uh, I mostly just hung out in the field and threw the discus or uh, just kind of meandered through the woods during cross country. But when I wanted to quit smoking, I wanted something to replace it. So at first it started out running fast just to show me how crappy condition my lungs were in. <laughs> and, uh, and after I did that for a while, I just realized that my runs, I was just ending them shortly. I just wanted to stay out longer and longer. And I kept thinking about that guy that I saw on the mountains. I said he ran for 20 miles. And I thought, how incredible to just for hours on end to be able to go. And I started thinking about it from more of like a survival standpoint, more of a primal ancestral standpoint. I started because at this point I had also found out of things like persistence hunting. Just more things were coming into uh, coming in from the periphery, showing me what people were capable of doing and showing me how distanced a lot of society is from some of their more uh, uh, old, old abilities, innate abilities that we don't really tap into or we're domesticated away from. And so I wanted to kind of get back into that route. And I started exp uh, experimenting with some longer runs and I just really enjoyed the headspace that it put me into. Uh, it just, it really felt like progress because at that time I wasn't really using a watch or anything. So I wouldn't be looking at, you know, I wouldn't be running track events and looking at my 200 meter split and be like, Oh, I shaved off a second. Hell yeah. Uh, that just wasn't really doing it for me. So I'd go run through the mountains and be like, Oh man, I felt like I was out for a lot longer today. I felt like I just ran faster. Uh, it just felt more natural. And that just made me feel like more of this, uh, that just made me feel more like tapped in to that old, healthy uh, animal self i guess yeah it's a great story i love how some random interaction on a trail helped you know kind of redirect your life makes me wonder how many other you know that and i'm sure that guy probably has no recollection of that incident even he's probably just like another saturday for him or something 
So I, I just kind of wonder how totally. many, I wonder how many like of, you know, the people we've had on the podcast and stuff like that, how many times that's rippled through people's lives and they don't even, you know, or you, like me personally or you personally, you know, had a compounding effect on someone else's life. It's kind of just something interesting to think about. Yeah, man. It's, uh, it's, it's really awesome to think about the impact that we could potentially have. And I think that especially for those who do have a greater reach, uh, well, I mean, I guess, I mean, I'm saying that in terms of like with social media these days, the more people you reach, yeah. the more responsibility you have, you know, with power comes great responsibility. And I think it's really important that we recognize that and not put on like a show, a facade, but yeah, definitely do our best to cause like a net positive to everybody around us. Yeah, I hear you. So you do this first ultra, the North Face Endurance Challenge. And why switch to obstacle course racing or how did, how did the switch to OCR come about? So I, uh, so the, the North face endurance challenge was my, my intro into ultra events. And that was May 5th of 2017. Uh, and I actually had done the New Jersey beast uh, at the end of April, literally the week before. And that was the longest race I had done up to that point. And I tried to sign up for uh, Elite because I just wanted to run with the fast guys and see where I stood. But it was sold out. So I did, at the time, they had competitive instead of age groups. So I remember I did competitive. And I just I just started running up this hill. And I thought, holy crap, man, this event's crazy. I mean, I remember when I got there, I looked around. And I had never seen so many freaking fit people in my life. I mean, there was six packs and like tight booties everywhere. I was blown away. I was like, this is my place. This is where I need to be. So I, I was stoked from the get. And uh, when the race started, you know, we did the roo, roo, roo thing. I was stoked on that. You know, that gets a little tired after a while. But yeah, I was super hyped. And I remember running through the course and swinging the monkey bars, carrying stuff. And everyone was having a rocking time. You know, everyone's kind of doing their own thing. Some people are power hiking. Some are running. Some are grunting. Some are just kind of... Uh, you know, throwing jokes around and I just enjoyed the mass of people. And I think that the thing that attracted me the most next to like the terrain and the obstacles themselves was like that community feel. Because when I did a lot of sports that I did, I, if they didn't really give me that camaraderie feel, I never really felt like I was in a, a brotherhood. And I mean, when I say that, that kind of sounds like, you know, uh, like in the Marines, for example, right? You have uh, your group of guys you get really close with. And for good reason, because, you know, you go through a lot of dire circumstances with each other. I never uh, really had a large group of people like that. And I didn't necessarily get that through the Spartan, because I mean, I'm just passing people on the course. But there was something there that I can't quite put my finger on that felt like an like I was having a really awesome connection with everybody. It was just maybe it was the extra smiles or the the high fives or just seeing people kind of push themselves. Uh, like I was saying before, I feel like a lot of us have kind of gotten domesticated away from that kind of like that primal rooting of getting dirty and pushing hard and uh, and working together through you know, hard circumstances, which in a sparring race might be like helping somebody over a wall. Uh, Tough Mudder is a greater example of that, right? Because more teamwork's there typically. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I just ended that race feeling really good. I was like, this is rocking. And uh, I thought, all right, 
I'll try another one. Maybe I'll get into the elite next time. I saw that my time in the competitive would have put me in the top 20, I think, for the elite. So like, oh, all right, maybe I'm pretty good at this. Well, uh, all right, let's see. There's this North Face Endurance Challenge race coming up. That's pretty close. I'm going to go, I'm going to go try that out. I was like on a roll, you know, I'm going to carry the momentum. Like I just did a 13 mile mountain race. I'm going to go do a 30. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just going to go from a half marathon to a ultra marathon. What's a marathon? And I, <laughs> the real reason I did that was just because like most regular marathons are on the road. But, uh, but yeah, the North Face called to me. Uh, that just kind of felt like it was next in line. And, uh, after that, I thought, wow, I had a really strong race at the North Face Endurance Challenge. I was kind of blown away with that. You know, like, had one of those emotional times, the cliche emotional time at the finish line crying, like, I can't believe I did it. I didn't know I could do that. Wow, man. You know? <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah, Pavlonian dog experience. Uh, just a good feels associated with that, that suffering. You know, it's that type two fun. Like, you go through the shit, and then when it's over, it's just like this – amazing feeling of accomplishment and like relief but mostly relief that you like I didn't let myself down because I'm sure you know how it is like you have one or two races and you're like didn't really give it all you had and even if you like placed well when it's all over you're like uh I don't know it just didn't really satisfy me yeah absolutely I mean I've had races where I've come in second third fourth fifth, sixth, whatever you know and compared to races I've won and I've been more proud of my lower place races just because of like where I went mentally and what I had to do to reach that result. So absolutely here. Yeah. That's so interesting. And the other funny thing you said earlier was like, there's all these, you know, fit people and tight booties around. And what's funny is like, I've been in this world for so many years. Like I forget that that's abnormal. So like I've, br I've brought friends to races who don't normally race necessarily. And they're like, damn, look at all these girls. And I was like, Oh yeah. yeah. Like everyone's in sports bras and like booty shorts. Like that's, that people don't walk around like that normally oh they don't oh okay Welcome brothers. yeah <laughs> so it's funny like i it becomes to me it's like normal and i i forget that it's abnormal to people on the outside um, so it's kind of something funny but yeah man i'll tell you what and i like every family gathering that i have i mean i have a my, my mom has a few sisters and they all live locally and they all have you know three four five kids so big family, when we all get together, it's, it's weird having everyone ask me questions or like have these uh, exclamations or get their praise for these things I've done. And I'm like, I, you know, just, it's weird. You guys don't understand. I'm just running. You know, if you guys did it too, you'd be like, oh yeah, we're just out there having a good time. But it's the whole other world. You yeah, know? absolutely. I'll be at work and I'll, they'll be like, oh, what do you got this week? And I'll be like, ah, I got like a five hour OCR. And then, uh, blah, blah. and they're like, What? you're running for five hours. They're like, Oh yeah, it's not, a, it's a short one. It's not a big, it's not a big deal. And they're like, Oh my goodness. It's like, all right. <laughs> you, you, I know. And then you hear their jokes. Like I can't even hold my beer for five hours. <laughs> <laughs> but you start falling deeper into this endurance world and like, you know, your friends on in person and you also your friends online, it becomes, you know, the extreme becomes normal, right? Like, you know, the Atkins or Ryan Atkins and uh, Ray are off in Fiji right now doing like a, adventure race and it's like oh cool yeah that's to me that's like quote-unquote normal but it's um it's really on the edge of uh what people are actually doing so it's kind of funny 100 percent, man that stuff was super fringe to me you know uh it was like five years ago but that's just that scale of relativity that ever shifts with you yeah absolutely. which is really interesting because that that's you know that goes the same for kind of like we were just touching on you might you might not have a good race and uh, it might feel real good about it, or you win and you don't feel that great about it, 
And you, I mean, gosh, if, you know, uh, 15 or 20 year old us were looking at ourselves now and be like, dude, you're crushing it, man. I can't believe you're doing that. But the fact is, is we, we are where we are and a performance now, regardless of if it was awesome, you know, to our 20 year old self, if it's not, it might just not seem so great to us where we are now. Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember interviewing Hobie Call a couple of years ago at the right after the first uh, OCR World Championships, you know, and it was on the podium. It was John Albin, Ryan Atkins, Hobie Call, and I was like super excited. You know, I was talking to Hobie, and I'm like, "Oh, you came in third! What a great, you know, what a great result!" And he was like, "Eh," he was like disappointed. I was like, <laughs> you know, here I am. I'm like, "You guys, you came in third in the world," and like the two dude, I mean, yeah, right, man. The two guys that beat you. I mean, I, I don't. I, you know, Ryan was a couple years into his success, but I, I you know, I, at that point, I'd never heard of Jonathan Albin. But I mean, those two dudes, all, all, I mean, that whole podium is legends, right? Like, I mean, ridiculous. That's, like, yeah, they so. are definitely legends. So anyway, yeah, so you get, you know, you find out you're good at OCR. Why, you know, take me, I guess, through the next step. You know, what was your next set of races? Why did you focus on Spartan necessarily over some of the other series, et cetera? Dude, it was pretty funny. Uh, so the next race that I did, so a, April 28th, 2017, I did the Spartan Beast. May 5th, just like a week later, I did that North Face Endurance Challenge 50K. And then uh, the next month, it was June, I think it was Tuxedo, that there was a Spartan weekend. And uh, this time I signed up for Elite. And it was a sprint, like it was quick, but that venue they had you go up and down the mountain twice so it was good elevation for the length uh, i did that race and i felt so good and i was just speeding and then someone yelled out like you're in fifth I was like what holy crap i just remember like picking up the pace with energy and i didn't catch fourth but uh I, I held fifth and when the race was over i like stuck around and like the the first second third fourth place guys were all hanging out they were like yo they came over to me like like who are you where'd you come from what are you doing? I'm like, I just, you know, this is my second race. I'm like, what? This is your second race, man. And, and then some guy mentioned OCR. And I was like, what's OCR? And they all looked at me like, what? I never heard the, you know, the, the acronym. Uh, acronym before. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, you got to be kidding me, man. You don't even know what OCR stands for. I'm like, oh, obstacle course racing. Duh, dude. So I felt like a dumb, dumb, but I, <laughs> but that was a fun that was a fun intro laying down a little bit of shock but i stuck around and i re and uh the podium uh went on the podium awards and the first place guy i was standing next to one of his friends and he says man 500 bucks right there i look at him like what he said yeah we just won 500 bucks i'm like there's money in this <laughs> people win money so, <laughs> i was like holy crap that's awesome dude and then like the second he said that, I just have a flood of all of those dreams I had when I was a kid of like professional athletes. I was like, holy shit, this can happen. So, <laughs> so when he said that, I was already into obstacle course racing, OCR. But then I realized like, okay, now I feel like I can train for this and not be, uh, what's the word? Not be uh, looked at by others like I'm some fanatic or crazed by fitness. It's like when you know, there, when you can put the label professional on a sport, it no longer becomes like that hobby you spend too much time doing, you know, that takes you away from friends and family. It's like, no, this can be a job. 
And I've heard professional racers talk about it, how it's not super glamorous. And for all I know, it's, it's not, you know, it's stressful that you have to win, uh, you know, or do super well or for the sake of sponsors and for, uh, the race earnings, but it's super cool to, uh, to strive for. And, uh, yeah, it's just a dream that I've always kind of had in the back of my head growing up was being a pro athlete, which is hilarious considering, I was thinking that while I'm smoking cigarettes, like not making a change about my bad <laughs> habits for seven years. But uh, so after that, I started training a little bit harder. I started uh, reading more books. I got, uh, I picked up this one book called Primal Endurance by uh, Mark Sisson and Brad Kearns. And they're, they're old uh, like triathlon uh, legends back in the 70s and 80s when you know guys were wearing bright pink Speedos and that was the thing. And I uh, read that book and that kind of changed my, my paradigm on, on running and just training in general. Uh, that's a great short read for anyone that wants to check that out. And they were really just, I mean, the word primal, right? It's like get, take these ancient ways of living and kind of adapt them to the modern day. So these old modalities with a modern twist on them. And I was super into it. So I looked more into it. And uh, as you said before, I am a primal health coach. So I went all the way down the rabbit hole. I'm like, I want to learn everything about this that I possibly can. So I hungered down for a few months while I was running, learned about primal health coaching, which definitely helped me with my own training. And uh, let's see, where did, let's see, where did that lead me? I, uh, oh, that's right. That led me to uh, a sprained ankle. And so I didn't have much of a 2017 season because ironically, I was doing a training run in the Catskills, having a fantastic day, enjoying my new uh, pair of shoes. I was like, yeah, these shoes are going to help me do really well. And I was envisioning throwing the spear. I remember it like it's yesterday, man. I, I was envisioning myself throwing the spear. Don't do this, folks. If you're running, be in the running. Don't think about throwing a spear while you're running. Uh, and my foot just hit the ground in a, in a spot that wasn't solid. It was like, it was autumn or there were leaves on the ground, at least in this area. And, uh, I sprained my ankle pretty bad, which put me out for a few months. But, uh, but those few months gave me time to, uh, become a certified, uh, trainer through the national Academy of sports medicine, which furthered, right. My knowledge for my own personal training as well as, uh, well now I, I train others. But, uh, but yeah, I've just kind of gotten like a little nerded out with this sport. I just think it's really awesome. The potential of the human body and the mind. And, uh, actually when you were uh, mentioning your, the, uh, sponsor, those electro, uh, the little electronic things you like put on your legs. What was that company again? Compex. 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 Uh, yeah. Uh, looking at stuff like that, I think that that stuff's so rad, right? Those and things like the like the Normatec boots, and that stuff's kind of like high tech, but it's super. Well, at least like the the Compacts, that's super affordable. The Normatec's a little out there, but yeah, that stuff's pretty cool. And uh, but yeah, I got super hyped up on all of the things that you can do to improve performance. Like those are the basic things, right? Super simple things like ice baths things that have been around for a super long time, uh, you know, and heat and uh, manners of eating or not eating and different things uh, yeah, that you can eat, sleep, all of the things that contribute to us functioning at our best. And the rad thing has been being the guinea pig 
and seeing my, like all of the races you listed earlier, the 2018 season was a, a great showing for myself that everything that I was doing was working, which, uh, yeah, really stoked me up. And that's when I really got on uh, this train of coaching other people. So I'm kind of, I kind of went off on a tangent here, but talking about just like the progress of things that I've been doing. Um, yeah. <laughs> Got off a little bit on the roll there. I think the hot chocolate's getting to me. I was <laughs> hot chocolate before we got on the phone. And uh, I got two squares of 90% cocoa and like three scoops of cocoa powder, a little bit of vanilla, and a uh, little maple syrup to tie it all together. Well, sounds delicious. Now, let's talk about some of your training. Uh, you kind of mentioned it briefly already, but I'd say take me through what your training looks like now, and then let's talk about you know what you've changed from – Two years ago so take me through what your training looks like now mm. right now my training mostly looks like uh, a good amount of small runs throughout the week like uh, I my driveway at the place that I uh, rent I live on a farm and this driveway is 0.6 miles long so it's really easy to do laps out and back there's just like a little a few rolling hills in it so it's really easy to do two four six miles here uh, every day or every other day. I've actually done a few half marathons in this driveway, just kind of getting in, getting in the zone, just looping back and forth and going to that numb mental place, but that's cool. So a lot of, uh, I use like a five zone system. And so like zone one is practically recovery. It's a uh, super duper chill. I do a lot of that real easy to breathe, real easy to talk, uh, super duper relaxed. And, uh, I, I like to throw in a lot of strides at the end of those runs and then the a lot of people benefit from different different running uh you know some people respond better to high intensity stuff some people respond better to the the long slow stuff uh, i found that i respond really well to long mountain runs where i spend a lot of time kind of like in the zone three which is in like the lactic threshold area so it's not quite race pace but it's comfortably hard and i also really like where my mind goes for that which there's a lot to be said for but uh on if i'm healthy i'll do a long mountain run every weekend uh i got a really good few runs these past few weeks uh going out to the mountains uh parking at one trailhead riding my bike 25 miles to the other trailhead uh running 22 miles with 8k gain back to the car taking a cold bath in the Creek and then going to pick my bike up and then going to smash a bunch of food. But it's uh, for the most part, it's been at least four or five runs a week, one to two long runs. One of those runs being around 20 miles. The other one being typically 10, 11, 13. And, uh, and I'll do the gym uh, once or twice. I teach classes at this one gym. And so typically I'll incorporate some kind of CrossFit movements, uh, a lot of compound stuff. Uh, and I'll do it in an interval fashion with like row machine, dumbbells, thrusters, snatches, uh, deadlifts, that stuff I really enjoy. I do a lot of balance work. Uh, and actually something that it's something that I do less, but I started to pick up more because I heard this great quote, and it wasn't even from an athlete. Uh, it was from a businessman, and he said, when you get successful, don't change what you're doing. Remember what made you successful, 
and do those and keep incorporating those things. And I like, that was an epiphany for me. I was like, man, I have kind of noticed some aspects of my performance being off and it had everything to do with my balance. It was like, I hadn't been slacklining. I hadn't been doing as much BOSU work. I hadn't been doing as much, just like just single leg work as I was doing back in the 2018 season, uh, both before and after, uh, or sorry, after I did, uh, or I got my sprained ankle. So I sprained that ankle and I started thinking about like rehab and, uh, and all that balance work I did, not just to get back to where I was, but I kept doing it. It brought me way beyond where I was in terms of balance and having really stable joints, which I mean, that's just absolutely integral to being able to take a beating for any length of time. Cause if you're doing an endurance event and something like a muscle fatigues, you're going to start losing your gait's going to go out of whack and you're going to start punch strain on other muscles. And then that's going to go into the joints and you're just going to start falling apart piece by piece. So stability work, something I've started incorporating more of again myself. And I just like, I really enjoy it. Uh, I used to do a lot more yoga. I don't do as much yoga anymore. I used to do that twice a week, uh, but instead I do more focused mobility work. So instead of going through a yoga practice that, you know, a class will have set up for me, I'll go right into the moves that I know I personally need, like opening up my upper body more, my shoulders, helping me with uh, compound movements and just having like healthier shoulders. So that's where I am right now. Uh, I kind of had a bad winter last year because after world's toughest, uh, I just wasn't feeling too sharp. My Achilles was like a little bothered, but more than anything, I was just really drained. I, I didn't know what was wrong with me and I finally got blood work and I, for, I didn't run a mile for almost two months, I think, or a month and a half. Like finally around Christmas, I went for like a two mile run and I was just, I was so dead still. So it turns out for months, uh, I wasn't really able to train, but I was, part of it was laziness. And the other part of it was this non-iron related uh, anemia. Mm-hmm. I was like, anemia? What are you talking about? I'm healthy as can be. I was in total denial. Like, how can that be? But the, uh, the doctors didn't have a solid reason for why it was occurring. Um, so I started just getting, just making sure I was getting good sleep. Uh, upped. I, I like went online, looked stuff up, took more vitamin D, more uh, B vitamins, and that kind of spruced up my energy. But something was going on there. And that just kind of gave me a late start coming into the 2019 season. So my volume wasn't really where I wanted it to be. But uh, I'm starting to pick it up now. And I feel like my fitness now is about where it was back in November last year when I was doing 70 miles a week. And I was in my top fitness going into world's toughest. So I haven't been as consistent this year as I wanted to, but, uh, but yeah, ideally going through this winter, I'm going to grab a pair of skis, do a lot of base building, you know, low intensity, building up a lot of uh, aerobic base and do a lot of strength workouts. And then going into the next year, 2020 come, uh, February and March, I'll pick up the intensity quite a bit and hopefully slingshot into the, uh, yeah, into the season with Spartan, probably try out a series, maybe national series. I just want to compete more with some of these uh, big contenders. Right on. Well, it sounds like you got a good periodization, long-term plan there, uh, which sounds great. You know, I think a lot of people just haphazardly throw miles at the wall and, you know, don't really plan things out well in advance. So 
I know personally when I actually write my schedule out and actually put things in place and, you know, break things down into macro and micro cycles, I, I feel like I perform better because it's logically oriented versus me just trying to figure yeah. it out on the fly, which I do more than <laughs> I should. I'll admit that. And the, uh, you know, you. world's toughest mutter. I mean, that, that knocks me on my ass every year. So, I mean, that is just a large stress to your system physiologically and, you know, not besides just being obviously really long and um, hard, the conditions are always terrible. Like after Vegas every year, I would develop <laughs> this awful cough, right? Like from inhaling dust and who else knows what's in that desert uh, environment. You know, and then this year in Atlanta was just freezing, right? Like it took me, took me a month before I could feel my fingertips again. You know, it was just like, <laughs> what? so. Hey, well, how, long, how many Tough Mudders or World's Toughest have you done? I'm at five. Yeah. Nice. So I did the four Vegas so, and one Atlanta. They did four years at Vegas? Yeah. Three in three New oh, Jersey, okay. four Vegas, one Atlanta. Mm. I was kind of hoping to do Vegas, but I will say Atlanta was pretty, pretty rad. I was down with it. Yeah. Well, the nice thing about those events is I feel like there's always something that makes it very unique. Um, and I, I, didn't, I didn't go to New Jersey, but I mean, I know one of the years in New Jersey, they were literally breaking ice like in the water on some of the water obstacles, you know, 2014 in Vegas, there was that awful windstorm. It was just insane. Um, which like, that was my first year. And I was like, they're definitely going to close the course. Like there's no way <laughs> they're letting people continue on in this. You know, I was like, I'll just make it through the next lap and then it'll be fine. And I remember coming through the med check and you know, they're like, you know, when were you born? And you answer and they're like, okay, I'll see you next lap. And I was like, are you yeah. <laughs> seriously? Are we seriously doing this? All right. It's like, all right, well, F it, you know, like I'm, let's do it. And I went back out on the course and, uh, yeah, kept getting awesome. worse and eventually cleared up. Um, you know, the one year in Vegas, it was just super nice. And the mileage was super good. And then, you know, this past year in Atlanta was just freaking cold. I mean, ice forming on everything, you know, so. Yeah. Yeah. That's who I remember going through. Uh, uh, it was, it was their obstacle gauntlet i forget what their official name for that was maybe they called it the gauntlet but it was like yeah, the rings the and then like the tra yeah the traverse with the knobs and then like this uh then monkey rings and whatnot i remember going across that and feeling the ice under my fingers like holy shit this is real right now this obstacle is open it turns out they closed it like right <laughs> after i went through it but i never experienced that before and i thought i was thinking to myself man this is gonna be a long night so speaking of toughest mutter my question was going to be how did you get involved in Toughest Mudder? Because obviously you have a lot of Spartan results. You're doing well there. You're, you're winning money. And, you know, when did you make the – when did you start adding tougher mutters or Toughest Mudders, rather, into your schedule? So, uh, 2012, uh, just a couple years after I graduated from high school, I had this friend. And uh, at the time, he, I mean, he's, he's still fit. He's an arborist that climbs trees. But uh, – Back in the day, he did a little more BMX skateboarding with me, and he kind of ran here and there. And his aunt and uncle and dad, they did Tough Mudders, and they asked him to go, and he asked me to go. At the time, I was smoking cigarettes. I wasn't, like, really fit or anything. I was kind of, like, doing some gym stuff. But I thought, oh, that looks, that looks cool. Yeah, hell, I'll, I'll go do it. And, you know, at that time, 2012, it wasn't competitive at all. Like, they, they sent us off, and it this was actually at um, – this was at Raceway Park, New Jersey. Nice. So I, so 
that was pretty much the lap that I think you, uh, everyone did at World's Toughest, or at least a similar. And uh, it was just rolling dirt bike, a rolling dirt bike course. And I remember I'm actually wearing the same shoes right now. Well, the same type of shoes. I keep buying this like $25 pair of like barefoot imitation shoes. Anyways, I, uh, I wore those to the Tough Mudder. So they had no traction at all, which is hilarious because I was that guy. Like when I'm running a an obstacle course race these days and I'm in the mountains and I see someone wearing a pair of like tennis shoes, I'm like, Oh, you're learning today. You're never going to wear tennis shoes again. But I was that guy too. I was wearing no grip shoes, sliding all over the place. But that particular race was so crowded and there was so much energy, so muddy. And there was like the electroshock therapy and everything. But I remember those obstacles being like, really fun and uh that's something that i really uh, appreciate about tough mudder and some of these other obstacle course races i really enjoy the competition at spartan and i can appreciate the uh, to a degree the standardization of obstacles but i also really appreciate the change up and the creativity that goes into some of these other obstacle course racing uh companies and uh tough mudder i just really loved their upper their upper body obstacles like funky monkey and hong kong and just like their monkey bar setups so uh i found out that or i remember seeing world's toughest on telly on the telly uh a while after that i was like oh tough mudder got competitive like that's rad and again i was still smoking cigarettes i was like oh you know maybe one day i'll do something like that and then (laughs) and then after uh doing the spartan I found out that Tough Mudder was doing some competitive stuff. I was like, oh, that's rad. I really enjoyed Tough Mudder. And, uh, you know, I looked at what the earnings were for, you know, if you did well. I was like, oh, that's, you know, really, I'll be honest. When I go to a race, the one, the first thing I'm thinking of is like, can I win my money back? I hope so. Well, let's go for it. <laughs> so, Because it's an expensive sport. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I live pretty frugally. So so it's a, it's definitely a plus. It's a huge bonus. But I saw that the uh, uh, they were doing tougher it was it t- or toughest mutter that's the, that was at the eight hour back in 2018. Yep, right. Yeah, I saw that. I thought, okay, well, the furthest I've ever gone so far was 31 miles. You know, 50k. I was like, let's do the math. Do maybe I could do 40 miles. So I was like, all right, this is the next step. Overnight, nighttime, hell yeah. I can take run through the night with headlamps. Man, uh, that was the, the toughest mutter in, at 508 International, Massachusetts uh, in June last year was maybe the most fun event I've ever done. Uh, that was just like running through the night, the obstacles. The, I had so many friends there at that point that I had met through uh, different races. That race was just, was just freaking awesome. Yeah, so I that was the first time I had ever seen you because I, I typically don't race Spartan and I live in the middle of the country, so I'm typically not at that many races in the Northeast, even though my family's from that area. And I remember being on Toughest Mudder and like there was one section where you actually like you went out and you kind of came back and you were essentially running parallel, you know, in opposite directions. And I remember seeing you near the front and I'm like, eh, that guy's going to blow up, you know, like I'll, I'll let him go, you know, there's because there was a, there was a, I usually start off slow and pick people off, but you, you have a very mm-hmm. unique look cause you're, you know, tattoos, mohawk, right. 
And I remember being like, yeah, he'll blow up. And then I remember you laughing at me later and being like, oh, I guess that, that plan did not work out so well. And, <laughs> and you did well. I think you, you came in second or third on that one. Yeah, I was stoked on that. I was like in sixth most of the night. And then uh, like 5 a.m., I got into fifth and then then well, fourth. And then with uh, like an hour and a half left to go, I passed Tyler McCready in third. And coming into the pit, literally the second place guy came into the pit 10 seconds in front of me. And he was like ready to stop. And I remember I came right up next to him because we were both in like the quick pit, quick pit area. And I, I gave him a tap on the back and I said, like, hey, bud. And he looked at me and then looked at his crew. And his, and his crew was like, dude, go. And he's like, oh, shit, that guy's actually right behind me. He thought I was just like. I just, I don't know, just, just some person. He'd never met me before. He had no idea. So he starts running and I was feeling so amped up. Like I got an hour, I got an hour to do, do this last lap. Like I'm going to get him. So I like sucked down some nutrition and chased after him and ended up getting that last lap in with like 28 seconds before nice. the cutoff. Oh man. Oh yeah. It doesn't get better than that. I was so stoked on it. Nice. Yeah. Well, so I, I had a really good taste in my mouth. <laughs> That was, I think that was my worst race of 2018, but uh, yeah, it's good to, good to see you do well there. So thanks man. What happened to you? Uh, I think I, you know, I just, uh, I always race a lot and I don't know, I, my body, I can't, I mean, I honestly can't remember what that race was sandwiched between, but I just know I, I hit my normal mileage, like 40, I think I did 40 at that one. I usually typically get between 40 and 45 and I just, uh, nice. I don't know. I just wasn't feeling good and you know, I, I still ran the whole time. I think I came in 15th or so, but yeah, not a bit, you know, just one of those days. <laughs> you got, you got 15th with 40 miles. Yeah. I would have, I would have like 40 miles is solid. I would have thought that would have put you up in the top 10. Yeah. Typically. So t like I said, typically I run between 40 and 45 and I'm usually, uh, you know, somewhere, somewhere in the top 10 is what I'm normal. Normally. at. Mm. Yeah. That's the only time I've fallen out of the top 10 is that race. And I did Toughest Mudder UK uh, that same year. And the obstacles were just, they were, they were easy, uh, which does not help me because I'm, I'm good at obstacles. <laughs> like there was one upper body obstacle per lap and everything else was, you know, crawls and wall and, you know, mud movement, water crossing and shit like that. Oh, I, I hate it. So it was uh, versus at that time, you know, Toughest Mudder, it was like some of the events had like four upper body per lap. I wasn't real happy with the... You, my UK tough, tough mudder experience. I think, you know, after that, I was like, all right, next time I go overseas, I'm doing a race series that they don't have in the US. Cause then otherwise I'm, I'm critiquing it and comparing it to what the US version is, right? Like even subconsciously, I, you just can't help it. Versus if you go do something that's completely different, I think you get, you know, a different experience versus just like the same stuff rebranded. But yeah, that's interesting how the same, like one company will have. Uh, they'll operate differently in different places. Like I was watching uh, a video from Spartan and they have the, uh, like the European mountain series and one of the, like the final rigs, it was this multi rig that was three times as long as any over here with like, with, with a bar, with monkey rings, with, uh, with like a horizontal ladder. And I was like, yo, bring that over here. That looks super fun. Why the hell now? Like, <laughs> yeah. It's just, I mean, they franchise them out, is my understanding, to other countries and kind of let, let them use their brand and their logo and incorporate some of their obstacles. But at the same time, you know, they have a certain amount of latitude to do what they want, you know, within that country. Mm -hmm. And 
because it's theoretically yeah. the people the people running it theoretically know that market better than the Spartan executives in America. So, yeah. Mm. That makes sense. Yeah. What do you think of Noram talking about like upper body obstacles and uh, you know, the plethora of them versus the, the big lack of them? Um, I mean, I, I loved it. I, I am good at obstacles. So I always prefer to me, harder is always better to me uh, as a business though. I understand there needs to be a balance, but I thought they did a good job. You know, the three K I only re- I ended the three K in the team. And I thought the 3k, the obstacles were just spaced out real nice where I didn't, I didn't look at my watch once, which means to me that I was constantly doing an obstacle or looking at the next obstacle. Um, but you know, I think, I think, I think they do a good job. The obstacles are typically not like each individual obstacle is typically not super hard, but when you put them in back to back, I think it pumps people out pretty good. So. Yo, you're telling me word on the street is they're taking away the chicken wing. Uh, from the the gibbon which was the fourth of the of that gauntlet yep you know the fourth obstacle of that super grip intensive gauntlet so yeah i i didn't use the chicken wing i'm okay I'm, I'm okay with that i think just if you're gonna make a rule like that it has to be i think it has to be universal across all the obstacles right then you shouldn't be able to use chicken wing on the monkey bars or anything else then that's just my two cents mm-hmm. But, yeah. Well, it's interesting because I mean, as you said, there has to be this middle ground. Like it has to be difficult enough for the elites yet attainable to a degree for kind of like that, that media, that median person. Yeah. You know, of course there's, you can't make it so everybody can do it. You know, it's going to got to be a challenge, but that actually, uh, I wonder how the sport's going to progress. And I wonder if they're going to go to doing things like the pro lanes, you know, yeah, I mean, Battlefrog tried it, um, so there, there, there's there, been some precedence for that, and you could do a pro lane. I personally like at the North American and the OCR World Championships, um, my personal preference is that I like that it's universal. So at the end of the day, a band is a band is a band, right? Like whether you're 50-plus woman or you're a 30-year-old pro male, I like that it means the same thing. But for most things, there's arguments for both sides that you can go either way, so... Yeah, I, I agree with that. No, I thought Noram, uh, I do think Noram was really balanced. I guess when I said that, I was thinking more towards like Spartan. Uh, and if you talk to any elite, they, there's this resounding, you know, oh, they're, they're easy. <laughs> the obstacles hardly slow you down. You know, no one's really failing obstacles anymore. Uh, it, it takes a, a rainy day and some carelessness. Yeah. So I'd be interested to see how Spartan uh, increases the challenge. Uh, yeah, at least for the uh, elites. I mean, I, I think it's a good option. I like that Battlefrog had uh, the different lanes. You know, they had uh, elite, intermediate, and beginner, and I think that's a good. I'm option. I'm jealous. I heard Battlefrog was the shit, but I never did it. I wasn't. I wasn't around then. Yeah, they're uh, they're sorely missed. So, but you know. I hear that. What ha- what happened with them? They were just. They spent. I mean, the simple answer is they spent more money than they were taking in too quickly, right? So they, you know, they sponsored the Fiesta Bowl, which I mean, had to cost low estimates were 10 million, high estimates were 20 million. You know, they gave away a million dollars in prize money in a single year. Um, they were there. They were also when they were giving out that million dollar prize money, they were paying like 10 deep, uh, which is pretty sweet. So that's just one of the reasons everyone loved them. <laughs> Damn, man, yeah. But I mean, it, it was attracting people. It was attracting a lot of people. The problem is it's attracting 
the 10% of people that make up the elite and competitive wave, right? So like it's attracting this hardcore community that was willing to go to all the races, which is why everyone loves them. But the, the, make, the thing that makes a business sustainable in OCR is the 90% of the open waves. And totally. it, just, it, just takes, it just takes some time to get that return on investment. And they were putting more money in faster than they thought, or they were putting in more money than they were getting in return. And I mean, if, when you looked at the numbers and compared them, it was like, oh, they're definitely losing money. You know, the question was, how long can they keep it up? And uh, the answer was about, you know, nine months of uh, 2016. <laughs> they closed Bummer, it man. late October, late uh, August, so eight months, I guess. But yeah. Well, that makes sense. I guess, you know, when I, uh, I'm sure you recognize too, when at a Spartan race, you see there is, of course, lots of those six packs, lots of the fine booties, but there's also a broader range of person. There's more people that apparently haven't been, you know, doing it for a long time. It's getting a few it's going deeper into the couch, you know, it's getting more of the couch potatoes. There's something about their marketing. There's something about the way that they set it up that is reaching uh, more towards the yet to be athletic audience, to put it correctly, you know, politically yeah. correctly. And I love that about our sport that it can, you know, it can pull in these unbelievable athletes and at the same time, you know, get someone pulled off their couch and walk the entire thing and, do 50% of the obstacles and uh, they, they feel good about themselves. Then they you've gotten off the couch to make themselves a little bit healthier. So I think that's pretty unique. Aspect. Yeah. And yo, I'll tell you what, I know some people that come across the finish line after doing 120, 160 or 180 burpees. And like, yo, I feel like you worked harder than I did. That sucks. <laughs> <laughs> that yeah, no is doubt. a lot of burpees. No doubt. No doubt on that one. That's exhausting. Yo, something that I wanted to ask you uh, earlier about world's toughest, because I've always been, I've like, I've kind of always thought about the military and especially the past few years, uh, a lot of my fitness has also been inspired by the idea of at least being like military ready and like, okay, I want to be able to, you know, do a hundred pushups, however many pull-ups, you know, run a certain speed. I want to be like, like special forces ready. Like I use that as a, as a measurement of fitness and athleticism. And I was wondering when it comes to an event like world's toughest, you know, these 24 hour events where you really get into a grind, especially mentally, how that compares to like your military experience. A lot in a lot of ways, it's the same. And then a lot of ways it's different. So the nice thing about a race like world's toughest is it's 24 hours. And at 24 hours, it ends, right? Like, and you can't stop that clock. Every second that goes by, I can't stop it. Um, so that, there's a definitive end point. And at the end of the 24 hours, I go back to my hotel room and I take a shower and I lay on my bed and I eat in an out burger, right? Um, when you go to something like Special Forces Selection or the Q course, you go, they're typically weeks to months in length. So it's just that like persistent grind. And it's not, you know, individual hours are typically not as bad. I mean, you know, if it was as hard, if special forces selection was as hard as people made it up in their minds, no one would pass. Same thing with ranger school. But it's just a very long process. Um, and individual events, parts of it are very hard, uh, but they only typically last uh, a couple hours and then it goes back to, uh, you know, kind of lower, lower key type stress. 
So it's just kind of the long grind, I would say, that gets to you. You know, I went to ranger school and uh, the course is two months long. It's broken into three phases. The bad part is if you fail a phase, you can recycle. So you can, you know, if you went straight through, you're there two if you, yeah, if you went straight through, you're, you're there two months. I did the first phase several times. I was there about five months. So less desirable. So that really like, I feel like that specific experience, which was absolutely terrible, and I highly do not recommend that, um, made me a lot <laughs> mentally tougher. Because when, you know, fast forward a couple of years, when I went to Special Forces Selection, they're like, all right, it's three weeks long. And I was like, three weeks it was like I was in ranger school for five months. I was like, I can do three weeks, whatever you're going to do to me. And uh, it was physically absolutely brutal. You know, I th- I've, may have said this on the podcast before, but if I hadn't physically been there to do some of the events that we did, I would, uh, and someone told me like the weights and the distances you moved, I'd be like, no, nah, you, you're lying. That's too much weight. That's too far. And, uh, but no, it, it was there. I lost uh, 20 pounds in 10 days while I was there. And it's not like Damn. I'm a big- it's not like I'm a big guy and I was eating three meals a day. Like, so just the, you're just churning through calories, right? Like, and, and individual parts, again, are, are typically not that bad. It's just that you're, you're always moving. You're always carrying something, um, you know, land, navig- you're doing land navigation for multiple hours a day. So just walking through the woods with your backpack, no one's yelling at you at that point. You're just, you're just walking, but that, that burns a lot of cal- calories when you're carrying 60 pounds on your back. So and also it's on you to accomplish because it's a, you're on a mission, right? You have to complete, you're in school right now and you have to complete this and get an A plus. Yeah. Yeah. So the, yeah. And there's a lot of like internal stress because you're putting the pressure on yourself to perform. And um, one of the things that makes it hard is they don't tell you how you're doing, which drives people crazy. Right. So you'll be, drive me crazy, man. you like, I mean, there are certain things, you know, they'll do a, a run and they'll be like, all right, you know, when I tell you to begin, you start running, but they don't tell you how far it is. So people don't know how to pace themselves. And, but you can, you can see where you kind of end up there. But on other things, um, uh, they call them team week events where essentially you carry things over a long distance. And there's, no, there's only your team at that specific moment. So you have no one to compare it to. They don't tell you how you do. You finish and they're like, all right, you're done. And they'll jot a bunch of things down in their notebook while staring at you. And then they'll be like, okay, go on to the next event. No, like, good job, no shitty job. It's just like, okay, next event. And you just move on. You're like, okay, I think I'm doing that. Sounds well. awful. <laughs> yet I can see, I can totally see that tactic, though, because you're just constantly thinking in your head, like, man, I'm, I got to make sure I am on point. Like, I have nothing to gauge to. So I just have to assume that I'm performing like shit. So do better. Right. So I, I, some guy, and you'll see some guys, they just lose it. They can't handle that. No feedback. So it's, uh, can't yeah. handle the silent treatment. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome, man. That's awesome. Did that answer the question pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent, man. I'm just like, I could hear you talk about that stuff for a while. Like I, I've always been uh, kind of, that's kind of like the second dream is being in the, the special forces. So I'm like 28. I'm kind of coming at the end. You know, I'm, I'm coming close to the end of my ability to do that. Yeah. But, I think the, uh, I think the cutoff's 35, if I remember correctly. So 
Yeah, it's, so it's, it's just tough to make the decision. You know, it's like, okay, do I have a future in obstacle course racing? <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and where does my happiest life lie? I mean, I, I look at guys like, uh, you know, uh, Killian. Well, how old are you, Evan? I'm 37. Okay, so you're the same age as Killian. Uh, I, think I'm, age I think I'm uh, like 35. I thought he was a little bit younger. I might be wrong. All right. He's going to hear this and be like, I ain't that old son. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you know, I don't know uh, how long he was in or, uh, or what he would have to say for how the military helped shape his uh, obstacle course racing career. But, you know, it's like they don't have to be totally exclusive. One will help the other, at least can very, you know, help the other. So, yeah. And so it's cool to have that on the side burner. I don't, I'm not gonna. I might be putting words in Killian's mouth here, but so he he had a unique experience because he a lot of his things he did in while in the military were also at, like athletic programs having to do with the military. So he did best ranger competition, I think like three years in a row or three years total, uh, which essentially lets you depending on job dependent lets you work out for a large portion. And then he was on the 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 army had like an actual Spartan race team for a year or two. He was on that. Um, my path's a little bit different. I, I did all my, I would say quote unquote, cool military stuff for about the first decade. And then once I started sitting behind a desk, I got into obstacle course racing. So, um, gotcha. Yeah. But it really depends on your job and what you're doing. You know, when I was still on a team doing stuff, this obstacle course racing, I'd have to fit it in where I could, if I was into that at the time. But it doesn't. It's not super conducive to it because you're, you know, you go to training for a couple of weeks and you're, you know, living wherever and you're eating whatever and then you deploy to a country and, you know, a lot of the deployments, the running there is, it's it's just not desirable. You know, like if you live on a base that's like a hundred meters by twenty, like thirty meters, you're not like, oh boy, the treadmill again, or I can run around this tiny compound. So. Um, yeah, yeah, all of these uh, all these military bases are going to have to get Pelotons. You know, the, the, the treadmills that, like, have the screen where you're this, like, animated person running with other people. Yeah. And, I mean, they are getting better. Of, uh, a lot of them, uh, there's a brand or a series called Alpha Warrior that's based out of Texas, and they started partnering with a lot of the military bases, and there's actually an Alpha Warrior rig, like a full-up, essentially like a platinum rig type thing inside – of like one gym on uh, the big military bases. It's funny. Every time I go, so I was at Fort Bragg a couple of weeks ago and they have this enormous, beautiful rig. I mean, thousands and thousands of dollars spent on this thing. And I'm the only person in the gym that ever uses it period. Right? Like everyone else is just laying on the floor, stretching underneath it. And I'm like swinging over their heads and it's like, oh. <laughs> you guys have such a good piece of equipment here and you're just stretching underneath it. Like you're killing me here. So Nah. Yeah, whatever, bro. Maybe do more deadlifts. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> people love. Uh, yeah, people not love, everyone. Not everyone's tuned into their their primal monkey. No, nah, people love bodybuilding.com in the military. Just love it. Can't get enough of bodybuilding.com. Yeah, yeah. It's it definitely seems that way. Understandable. All right, let's. Um, we're gonna start wrapping things up here. Before we go, though, let's a couple more questions. One, let's talk about your future. So, what do you? you know, big goals or plans in the future? Are you looking at more FKTs? You're looking at, you, know, you mentioned Everest earlier or focusing on obstacle course racing. What do we got? 
I, I am going to focus mostly on obstacle course racing. Uh, I'm going to probably work more on uh, endurance. You probably won't see me looking to, uh, you, you know, win every sprint out there. I'm going to be moving into longer distances because I think, I mean, I'm looking at some of these races like uh, Leadville, Hard Rock, Western States, UTMB, some of these big races. And I mean, the part of the fact is that you have to apply to get in, you know, you have to kind of build your, your credentials just to get in. And I like, I like that. I like that it's exclusive and I want to kind of earn, earn my turn. And, uh, and I, again, I just love the headspace that I can get into running at length. So something that uh that'll help me get there definitely is just improving my my running and in doing so i think that a good goal for next year uh, on that journey to getting better at some of these bigger races would be something like the national series where there's a focus on supers and beasts and there's a diversity of uh of land i'm not the best it's been illuminated to me especially at like Noram and West Virginia on some of these less technical, more open running races that uh, it's, it's not my strong suit. Uh, I was never the fastest 5k or my best 5k is like a 1706. And, uh, and there, you know, some of these guys out there uh, like the, the Ryans, <laughs> they're all, all these guys are in like the low mid 15s. And, uh, and there's something to be said for that and how, that helps you on uh, or that'll show itself on a greater range of terrain. So I, I do a lot of mountain stuff. I love the mountains, but I'm definitely going to work on my, if not flat running, just less technical running. You know, I'm going to run more runnable trails and uh, get my, my form down and get my speed up. So I think the national series will be cool next year. Uh, the, the prospect of, being in a series and because I haven't done that yet I've kind of just done this whole thing where oh I feel pretty good I'll do this race but uh, I think that'll help me uh, organize my own training uh, and that structure will be uh, yeah it'll just be it'll be different it'll be interesting and it'll it'll be a good challenge for me and potentially help me to I don't know pull in if I do well you know uh, doing a series, something that gets a little more, uh, uh, media coverage, you know, that, that could be good for me as far as, uh, making this more of a, you know, short term career, but, uh, that's out there. That's then, uh, so I'll be working towards that. You'll expect to see me in a series in 2020, but, uh, for now, Killington is this weekend. Super excited about that. I. Uh, you know, Killington's that race that everyone talks about. It's like, you have to do it. If you're a Spartan, you have to have done Killington. So I, I didn't do it last year. It was sold out by the time I went to sign up. This year, I'm in. I'm in, and I am very excited to do, I think it's like 6,600 feet of elevation gain. So my quads are not going to appreciate that, but I will. Awesome. Well, uh, <laughs> best wishes this coming weekend. This will, by the time this airs, this you'll have been long done with Killington, but so this is probably air another week or two, depending on what else we have on the schedule. But yeah, best wishes at Killington. Uh, Where can people find you social media wise? And uh, if you offer personal training, stuff like that. Oh, appreciate that, man. Yeah. I, 
my Instagram, my very official business place, uh, my Instagram is Joshua Reed. It's uh, J-A underscore S-H-U-A underscore R-I-E-D. Joshua Reed. And there I am. And yeah, if anyone's looking to get some training either from Evan or myself, we're out here in the world. <laughs> right on. Do you do online training or just in person or both? What's your MO there? I do both. I'm really, I'm really digging the online uh, because what's really cool about that is the fact that uh, I can reach a much greater amount of people and uh, you know, no matter where they are and with things like uh, Facebook and Instagram and just using the phone, it's easy to exchange messages and videos uh, to give instruction and see how other people are doing. I always prefer doing in person, but it's a busy world out there. So as a matter of convenience for both parties, uh, the internet is pretty awesome for that. Right on. Are we going to see you at any more toughest world's toughest this year or now? Dude, I like a prize. I, I want to do, I want to do world's toughest this year, but I don't think I'm going to make it down there. It's just a financial thing, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and if it's going to put me off for, you know, another month or month and a half, you know, it just, uh, it just interrupts the training a little bit. I mean, in my head, the fun is worth it. I mean, it was, it was such a good time, you know, but if I'm not going to go, I'll just justify it with, I'll have a, a better, you know, a better November, December training time. Right on. Yeah. It, I justify, it gives me an excuse to take a good off season. That's my justification. I, I just destroy my body for the weekend. And then I'm like, all right, don't need to uh, run for a while. Just enjoy, you know, some strength training and taking a break from the whole running process. So come back a little bit harder. Oh, there you go. Yeah. You at least went and did strength training. I just like sat on a couch. <laughs> uh, I, I love doing strength training in the off season. That's my, that's my jam there. So what's your favorite, what's your favorite weightlifting move? It's deadlifts. Although I, I, I don't do them as much as I used to, but I used to like, I mean, I used to just, I mean, I'm, I'm a pretty small guy. I'm like, you know, between anywhere between 150 and you know 165, depending on what, I was getting ready for, and I would just crush. Like my person, my PR is a triple body weight deadlift, so it was like, it was like one fifty. Damn, it was one fifty five, and I did. Uh, was it? What is? What's triple that? Four sixty five. Yeah. Damn. So, but I had yeah, a belt on. I, I had I had wrist straps, so I wasn't. It wasn't pure grip, but. Uh, oh okay. All right. All right. All right. Then I can take a little pride in that. I got like a two point five body weight. I was like. Yeah. What was that? I was like 170 at a 435, and I didn't use straps okay. or a belt, uh-huh. although I felt it. I was like, <laughs> not saying my form was great. I'm just saying it left the floor. <laughs> yeah, and I, I do not – I don't lift anywhere close to that heavy now. It's just the risk becomes too high, especially with – like when I do a lot of run training, I feel like my form starts slipping, especially if I do a like a back, like deadlift or something in the afternoon. So I, I – I deadlift occasionally now. So my deadlift is probably, I don't know if, if I tried to one rep max it now, I don't know. Probably could get three fifteen, and I would be scared to go any higher. I don't know. So for sure. Got that for sure. <laughs> All right. Well, since dope, man. Yo, I appreciate talking to you, brother. Yeah. Well, normally when we have three people on the podcast, we do tell us one thing about yourself that people would be surprised to know about you, but you seems like a pretty interesting dude. So even though I don't have three people, I'm going to ask that question. So share with us something that people would be surprised to know about you. And I did not prep you for this question. So (laughs) you know what? Oh, hilarious. Because I've had people say to me, 
I mean, almost anything I do, people look at me and say, not surprised, not surprised. It's like, oh, you do that? If anyone's going to do it, it's you. So I feel like I can just get away with about anything. And people would look at it and be like, God, that, that just makes sense right there. Uh, I'd probably say the thing that might surprise people uh, the most is that I fucking love cooking. I love cooking. And like, I'm pretty good at it. Whether it's like steak, or pancakes, that shit's really fun. All the other stuff they probably expect. Like I like to be dirty or like I'll pick food off the floor or, uh, or walk around naked. You know, all that shit sounds pretty normal. <laughs> right on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'll tell you what, no, I'll tell you what, what we you know what people really don't expect music. I can play Moonlight Sonata on the piano and I am oh, obsessed really? with, uh, with some of those classical songs. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, not expecting that. Those are those are two good ones. And do oh, got you. See, see. Yeah, knew it. That's good stuff. All right, we're gonna wrap. Yo, I gotta ask you, man. It's not fair. No, no, no. Okay, I gotta yeah. ask you, man. What people? Yeah. So I mean, I do this on every episode. What I, so about you? I do this on every episode, so we're running out of interesting things to say. I I usually try to link it to what the guest says. So for the cooking one, I will go with. I am not a good cook. My wife is a trained pastry chef, though, so she can literally make anything like creme brulee. And Evan, you made it. You made it. You picked a good one. Um, Hell and yeah. The worst part is I, people yell at me all the time for this is I never take advantage of it because I try to eat healthy. So she'll make this like gorgeous cake and I'll be like, I eat one slice and I'll be like, that was a good cake. She's like, are you going to eat the rest of it? I'm like, I'm not eating a full cake. I'm eating a full cake in the course of a week. Like, I just want one slice. So anyway, she usually doesn't make desserts for me. She usually lets, um, uh, usually on my birthday or something, and that's about it. So I don't take advantage of it, uh, but my wife is a very good cook. And then for the music one, I've already used some of the music things. Uh, I used to actually be involved in uh, musicals in high school, so that's kind of interesting, but I've used that on the podcast before. Uh, we'll go with my, I have a four-year-old daughter at this point. So most of the music I listen to in the car now is from the Descendants soundtrack, uh, which if you're familiar, it's like the, the villains of the Disney kids um, essentially go to high school and it's like high school for heroes and villains, Disney kids. So I listen to that a lot and I actually think it's good now. I've listened to it enough where I'm like, this is a good song. And it's like, you know, Disney kids music. So that's what my current uh, soundtrack and, driving around this right now so do you find that those songs just pop up in your head or like random points throughout the day yeah i was doing a conquer the one like continuum the multi-lap one and i had one of the songs stuck in my head like just like i'm talking like three sentences from the song it was just repeating over and over again and i finished <laughs> and i was like oh my freaking head hurts from singing those three <laughs> lines over and over again yeah but dude yeah, that's sense- that's too funny that i what's that Descendants three is the has the best music if you're curious if anyone's curious on the uh the order of uh Descendants soundtrack. Descendants three then was it rated T is it like T V three to five year old or <laughs> I'm probably I don't I don't know. It's uh yeah. Honestly, I would probably watch that. I was watching this cartoon with my girlfriend and as we're watching it was like really clean cut, but it was hilarious, man. And at the, at the end of the episode, because on Netflix, it rolls over into the next episode. And I see up in the corner, it's like TVY 7 to 10. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, who am I? Yeah, I actually think the movies are good. Absolutely. Like I, I've watched, we've watched them enough where I'm like, this is a good movie. I think this is a good Descendants, good movies. So um, yeah, you can check them out. 
it's really clever. The thing that I find most interesting is it's very clever how they took the villains and like, you know, they're, they're kids. So they're, they're similar to their parents, but then they're also a little bit different. So I just thought the whole concept was very clever. And uh, the music's not bad. <laughs> that sounds good. You should write a review on like Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. yeah maybe I will. <laughs> uh, this has been great. Evan, really appreciate it, man. Good talking. Yeah. yeah, thanks for coming on, and uh, glad we could finally get the schedule. We've been working on this for, I don't know, two months now, something like that. So it was hard right, to – Well, now, now it happened, and now I'm interested in buying compacts. Look at how that goes. Yeah. So, all right. If anyone um, listening, you can head over to teamstrengthspeed.com. Uh, we do have bleg mitts on there for those getting ready for toughest, world's toughest, and some like Tahoe, stuff like that. We have the lights. We have the extremes. The lights are selling out, though, so if you're – worried about or you want a pair of the lights i would pick them up sooner rather than later and then other than that as always my books are available on the website uh the ultra ocr man my biography which covers some of my time in the military and some of the ultra stuff i've done uh is 100 for charity so feel free to buy that book i'm actually delivering the check as of it, by the time this comes out it'll be several weeks ago but um, i'm actually delivering the 500 check to folds of honor tomorrow which will be on my facebook feed and uh yeah so you guys can check that out and uh, we will see you at some races later this year for our listeners and Joshua, I hope to see you back maybe doing a toughest or something, even as a relay in a uh, 2020. All right. Booyah. Oh, before we go, what was your team's relay name at, what was it? Toughest Philly. Oh, that was, that was great. Yeah. Yeah. Toughest Philly. We were team chub cactus and the occasional helmet. Yeah. Do you get, would you like to explain that or are you just going to, just going to let it ride? <laughs> I'm going to be honest with you, man. I was sitting at the computer talking to, uh, uh, talking to Javier and like, there's a cactus on my computer desk. I just looked at it. I, I can't say where the chub came from. I mean, it was a pretty chubby cactus, but I was like, yo, chub cactus. And then Javier was like, yo dude. And I have these like, uh, 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 Star Wars helmets. I was like, oh, hell yeah, man. Like, and he's like, yeah, maybe we'll wear them. And I was like, oh, so we'll, like, we'll occasionally wear them? Yo, so we got a chub cactus and an occasional helmet. And, uh, you know, let your mind go wild. That's a, that's a pretty funny play on words there. Now, last question. Did you buy the cactus specifically because of the way it looked? Or did it just grow into that shape? no dude yo that cactus is about 20 years old and it originally belonged to my dad and it just grew like that i remember growing up and it was just like always the uh the pinnacle of of comedy around like all the family gatherings people like, cactus, that cactus like yo i want that cactus so so i take care of that cactus all right, and if anyone's lost, it is pretty phallic, uh, phallic in nature, the cactus. Well, so, yeah. It, indubitably, indubitably, it's chubby, and it has uh, two reservoirs for <laughs> water uh, that are symmetrically, symmetrically uh, situated. Yeah, it is, it's remarkable. All right, uh, thanks again for joining me. Uh, we'll catch you later. Peace.